Do you need to pee or anything? No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> I guess I'm ready when you are. <laughs> All right. Cool. Do you want to do any silence, or do you think we're good? We're good. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't do any silence. Yeah, I know. Right. I'm glad we decided not to do silence. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> That's how this goes. Yep. <laughs> All right. Hello, gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I am your host, Michael Lilienthal, and this is... Wait, no. Nope, I was reading, that's wrong. I was reading the script that Michael wrote for when he hosts. Uh, hello, I, gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I'm your host, Ethan Bartlett, and this is my guest, Ethan Bartlett. No. <laughs> this is my guest, Michael Lilienthal. Do I need to write up a separate script for you? Am I actually this drunk, or am I just pretending because it's amusing? <laughs> I don't you will know. never. You I don't do know not know. I don't know. And neither do I. I don't know you. Anyway, who are you? <laughs> uh, hi, I'm Michael. <laughs> Excellent work. Uh, so this is officially the worst introduction we've ever done to any episode. So bad. Okay. So bad. Do we want to go back and record it? No, re-record we're it? we're already. No, this we're far here. In. We're done. It's like we're good. It's it's all right. Well, we're not good, but we're good. No, we're not. But we're gonna we're gonna count it anyway. We're we're okay. already like a minute and a half in. So <laughs> right. Well, though. This is too much for me to edit out. So we're thirty just seconds of that minute was like us pausing so you could grab the thing for the editing thing. For the yeah. So it's only like a minute in. That's still too much for me to edit yeah, out. Yeah, that's what I, I thought. I can't do it. It's that too is, bulky. That is what I thought. Yeah. Well, so welcome back, gentle listener, to Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch. We after are two weeks. After two weeks, uh, during which Michael and I have been drinking Scotch. Yes. What Scotch have we been drinking, Ethan? We have been drinking Glen Morangie's Highland Highland. It's a Highland, Highland. single malt mm-hmm. Scotch whiskey. It's called the Quinta Reuben, uh, mm-hmm. and beneath the Quinta Reuben on the bottle, it says Port Cask Finished, uh, mm-hmm. which, as I understand it, means that the scotch was finished, it was the final part of its aging, was done in casks that had formerly held port. So it took on some of the characteristics and, and mm-hmm. certainly the color and, oh, and certainly some tasty notes, tasting notes of port. Yep. Or, yeah. So, uh, that's what we're drinking. Uh, gentle listener, as you probably know from having listened to part one of the podcast, which, if you didn't listen to part one, this will all be very confusing. Very confusing. But, just in case, now that I've given you that warning, you've decided to persevere, um, I'll remind you of the rules. So, I'm about to pour some scotch into Michael's and my glasses, Mm -hmm. after which we will clink glasses, after which, if anyone mentions the scotch... They lose. Furthermore, if anyone mentions anyone's mothers in any sort of pejorative term, they lose. Furthermore, if I say... What is it? First paragraph. If I say first paragraph, I lose. If Michael says vampire, he loses. Can I can I ask for a point of order on that one? Absolutely. If the word vampire occurs in the text, can I use it? Yes. Okay. If... You can find a direct quote from the text that says vampire in it. Okay. I'm going to rescind my previous ruling. No, I probably can't. can't. I can't. Um, According to the very well-established parliamentary procedure that we have for this show, that the rules are not just made up as we go along or anything about. Like Calvin Ball. And the points don't matter. Exactly. (laughs) Which is not what Calvin... But anyway. So, uh... 
all the things to lose. What happens if you lose, Michael? Then the loser suffers a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt prescribed by the not-loser. Exactly. Now, I would like the gentle listener to note, as you can probably see, but I'm going to point this out anyway, uh, things have gotten very tense in this room. Because <sighs> we've been in this room for two weeks and one hour. Nobody one hour, has let us out! The one hour that we took to record the last episode and yep. then the last two weeks before yep. we started this episode. We have our pee corner over there. <laughs> Which I'd rather not <laughs> like talk about, let alone acknowledge in any other way, but we do have it. Um... So it's been two weeks and one hour, and nobody has lost. Yeah, I know. That's a problem. Yeah, it is, because we both have our things that we're uh, bursting at the seams to inflict on each other, yep. and we haven't given each other the chance. Yep. Um, so we're both very selfish. Extremely. Is what, is what I'm saying here. So, that being said, I should probably pour the scotch. Yep. Dankeschön. Aberbitte. Are you ready? Prost. Slancha. So, two weeks ago, when we ended the episode... You know what we didn't do two weeks ago? Pause to, to let, let the, the listener, listener read, read the book. The book. <laughs> yep. Wow. So, we should give him a chance to do that Yeah, now. we should. So no, even though... though we've already read the first line and the last line <laughs> <laughs> of the book... <laughs> I was actually about to say what we should do is pause to give the listener a chance to listen to the to read the book and then listen to the first episode. That's okay. So we need to do double the pause. Yes. Yeah. All right. Are you ready? Yep. Three, two, one. All right. Welcome back. Wasn't that good? Wasn't it great? I was talking about the podcast, not the book. I know the book was okay. Yeah. Like the Saul, podcast was awesome. Saul Bell was like, he's 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 all right. Yeah. He's a freaking genius. Let's stop pretending. I know. I, know. I love him. We tried to pretend, but we didn't. We can't. We, we, can't. we can't. We can't do. We can't. We can't perform. <laughs> no. <laughs> no to that. Because we obviously can perform. We did one hour of this podcast already. I know. And we're well into a second hour. So, are you saying this is all a facade? I'm saying it's all vaudeville. Vaudeville! <laughs> <laughs> I dropped it. You did. I dropped my book, gentle listener. I beg your I beg your indulgence for I feel like that should count as a as loss. As a loss? Just Why would that book. count as a loss? I don't know. I could just do this to you <laughs> and then you'd lose. <laughs> but the last hands to touch it was yours and therefore you dropped it. No. Yep. <laughs> you had it in your hands though. Nope. No, that doesn't count as a loss. Okay, fine. Not for me, not for you, not for the sake of world peace. Okay. Um, we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but we both have to agree if it's going to be a loss, because one has to do the thing and never mind. Sure, anyway, you say so. You know what? I, I don't know what. I don't know either. Sometimes I say the phrase, like, you know what, I say it threateningly in order to, like, try to intimidate you right. into, into doing whatever I think you should it's, do. It's, it doesn't it's, work, usually. It's, it's like catching coup, you yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Just <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to demonstrate your bravery in battle. <laughs> <laughs> Which we already know, as the gentle listener several episodes ago, when they saw me tear my shirt off and run screaming mm -hmm. to defeat a group of Picts in battle. They yep. know that I am brave in battle. That's true. That's true. And gentle listener, if you did not hear that episode, you have to go back and find it. Yep, go back and cycle through all it. our episodes until you find it. Yep, because it's that it is that good. Yep. 
and rate us five stars on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what we say after we do the hypnosis segment. Oh, shoot! I jumped the gun. Okay. Gentle listener, if you don't remember the hypnosis segment, that means it worked. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so, two weeks ago, when we ended our last episode, uh, what I said to you was that I wanted to ask you about the Jewish question. Yes. Which is usually a phrase that a person living in this century who is not, like, a giant jackass usually would avoid using, I would say. Sure. In general. Sure. Probably. But, but that phrase is specifically in this novel it is. several times. Yes. Um, and, of course, you know, Chick and Ravelstein, the, the two central characters of this novel, are both Jews. Yes. Um, and so the Jewish question is, is um, brought up and pontificated upon and expanded upon. Because they have upon. Nazi friends. Yes. Uh, which is one of the most suspicious segments of this book, it's I would say. It's so weird. It's a very weird part, um, but I'm just gonna gonna for textual uh, context here. Um, bottom of page 115 in in my copy, which is a weird oversized. It's printed by Viking. It's like the Viking 75 years anniversary edition. I'm not um, sure. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, it's a it's a fine copy. It's just it's it not, reads. Yeah, it has it, words. It does, and like. The words aren't all crammed together in a super annoying way like someone self-published it or anything. Right. <laughs> anyway, bottom of page 115 on my edition. I see the Jew, the child of immigrants, taking the American premises seriously. You are free to do what you like and can realize your wishes fully. It's your privilege as an American to buy land and build a house where you live in full enjoyment of your rights. Um, you know, and this is... Yeah, I could go off on a tangent on that, on how, like the Jews in America have not always, like, been granted those rights. And, right. you know, that whole thing, which, you know, but the point is that, that sort of the Jewish question hangs heavy over this text, and um, there are several places where that phrase is used, phrase is used specifically. Um, you know, in, in sort of, I want to say it's towards the beginning of the third section, there's a long... Um, uh, discursus on the fate of the Jews, especially in Europe, um, getting put in gulags and, and concentration camps, um, you know, and, and just various things like that. Um, but it, it hangs heavy over this book. But what I would like to ask you about Michael is... What about Michael? That's, that's the question that does hang heavy over us. <laughs> um... There are a couple places, and I thought I had marked, like, uh, tabbed a page here with at least one of them. Yeah, here it is. Page 56 in my copy, somewhere in the middle of the first section. Right? Um, now, in the previous paragraph, so going back to uh, page 55 in my copy, um, so he's talking about... Uh, Bravelstein. And this is immediately after the quote I read in the last episode um, about television. Mm-hmm. Um, if he, meaning Ravelstein, if he spoke of Machiavelli and the best way to deal with a defeated enemy, it was because he was a teacher through and through. There were flashes also of General Colin Powell and of Baker, the Secretary of State. And then in the stadium, the brief dimming of the vast lights, and after that, the dramatic return of full illumination. New paragraph. All of this puts you in mind of the mass displays organized and staged by Hitler's impresario, Albert Speer, 
sports events, and mass fascist rallies borrowed from each other. Ravelstein's young men were well up on basketball. And that's, in the larger context, talking about Ravelstein would have these big parties, for parties basketball where and... they would watch basketball, yes. Yeah. But this is only one example of several that I did note, though I haven't been able to find any of the others live real time here, of Ravelstein's name being very closely juxtaposed with fascism and, and Nazism and, and Hitler. Yeah. So, and I noted that, and I noted it several times, as your reaction shows me you probably did too. Uh-huh. But my follow-up question to that is, what the hell? <laughs> sure. Like, I, I noted it as a, as a thing that kept reoccurring, so there must be something to it, but I, for the life of me, can't think of what it could be. I have an idea. Okay. Um, for, for one thing, um... Chick is at least nominally a religious Jew. Yes. Ravelstein is a self-proclaimed atheist. Very explicit atheist. Very explicitly, which in some sense does go contrary to Judaism. Right. And so by going contrary to Judaism, that might have a taint of fascism to it, even though you couldn't give the name to it, which is why he's never actually explicitly given the name sure. of fascism. And I don't know if Chick uh, would give to Ravelstein much connection to fascism, except that ancillary connection. That well, very, like, you know, in, in the context of, like, you can see how he acts and how fascism acts and see right. them together. And that's, that's one of the thoughts that I did have about it is... Ravelstein almost does act like a fascist leader. Sure. Um, he even even in his relationship with Chick, where he's he's said, he's making these pronouncements. Oh, you need to write mm -hmm. a memoir about me or this book sure. about me. Um, you need to you need to do this thing. You need to do that thing. Um, and even more so in like the group of sort of uh, undergraduate. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say psychophants. I think that's an uncharitable term for them, but. Certainly, yeah, they might deserve it. <laughs> certainly people who uh, nursed at the Ravelstein teat. Sure. Um, unabashedly, let us say. Uh, very much sort of a group that, uh, you know, would look to him as what you'd call a strong man or mm -hmm. a, a, a leader of sorts. Sure. Um, so that's the only thing, the only other thing I could think of regarding uh, that. Another part of my thought on it is that much of this novel is trying to discover what it means to be human. Yes. And in that context, also, what does it mean to be a human Jew? Right. Uh, which is, Saul Bellow is Jewish. And right. So, and so was Alan Bloom, who was Ravelstein. Uh, right. And so what does it mean to, to be that? And connected with one of the themes that we saw in the last episode, that it's more about Chick than about Ravelstein... In some sense, mm. um, and that that envy of Chick of Ravelstein, that sure. Chick is envious of Ravelstein. I think part of that connection of the fascist and Ravelstein, who is a Jew, is how did Ravelstein manage it? How did he figure it out? How figure did, what out? Being a Jew in America, okay, without going all the way into fascism. Sure. So is it a defense mechanism? I think so, yes. Okay. 
I, I think that is exactly what it is. I think Chick is saying he ventured so close to that fascist sort of idea, he didn't manage to actually get there, but I, I'm going to put that there because he can't have figured it out, because I didn't figure it out. <laughs> right. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> those, are, those are my broad thoughts, because, um, well, that, that concept of what does it mean to be human mm-hmm. and... More narrowly, what does it mean to be a Jewish human hmm. is something that kind of runs through all of Saul Bellow's work. Sure, okay. um, that's that's his that's his theme through right. everything. What does it mean to be human? Which connects right. to that real reality sort of idea. Sure. Um, what what is the real reality of human existence? Sure. Um, and like he kind of gets to that too towards the end where uh, he starts questioning evolution <laughs> in right. his in his fever dreams. He's like, of course I believed in evolution. How who can argue with all the evidence? But but there are things that that con- that contradict it. So I have to argue with that. Right. But I have to accept it because there's evidence for it. But I have to contradict this part of it because it, this is absurd. And what does it mean to right. be human? That 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 trying to figure it out, trying to fit everything together. Sure. It's something that he doesn't think he can manage to do perfectly. And interestingly, too, there's a scene in here in amidst his hallucinations right. when he's on those drugs at the end, at the end of the book. Um, when he sees his dead brothers and his dead father and doesn't ask them anything, very deliberately doesn't ask them anything. Right. And so it seems there that that is where he's coming to peace with things, hmm. that the question has to be left open. This this varied and fluid and unanswerable thing has to be left unanswered until we die. And there is the point of death being the theme, that there is an afterlife. We have to come to after this life and see reality in different pictures. Sure. Which is where I think he reconciles himself with Ravelstein. Ravelstein says the pictures won't stop. So, uh, Chick, well, same person, uh, say <laughs> that the pictures will stop. And I think that's where they come together is that these pictures will stop. New pictures will start huh. in the afterlife. And that's a new understanding on reality. And so that's why he doesn't ask anything because he's not going to understand it with these pictures sure. until he sees those pictures. And that's connected with this Jewish question of the fascist Ravelstein, pseudo-fascist Ravelstein, because somehow he has managed to fit himself together in this being a Jew, being an American, being a human being, and kind of think and figure things out. Okay, sure. And that that almost makes the the other piece of his his sort of personality or, or character... Um, the homosexuality question that sure. is that bit too mm-hmm. is that you know he's he's as sort as a homosexual Jew and even you know going back to some of those pop culture references even as an intellectual so you've got an intellectual homosexual Jew yep. in many ways he's he's not what society wants in many right. ways he's rejected right um, and he's big and clumsy yeah. <laughs> you know, just to top it all off. Right. <laughs> um, and that, I feel like that, you know, all fits together 
so he he's almost like at the center of this web that he's barely just holding together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's that's maybe a, another reflection of like the central themes of this book is this idea that Ravelstein was such a big personality. He was a big, um, you know, a, sort of a great intellect. Um, you know, in 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 many ways, um, excuse me, at least a celebrity. Uh, or a celebrity, at least in the sort of academic sense. Um, so in many ways, he's this very big, big person. But on the on the flip side of that, he's just barely holding it together. Mm-hmm. He's he's um, you know, he's he's both like very secure and very sort of. Uh, in his world, but he's also very vulnerable. There's vulnerable. A, there's kind yeah, of a hidden vulnerability there. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a which is a common theme, I think, in like great, great, uh, great creative types of all kinds. I was gonna say actors, but also writers and musicians. Yeah. Um, you know, all all creative types sort of uh, project themselves, you know, onto the the consumer, whether it's the reader or the listener or whatever. Um, but often in you know even if you just read biography biographies of movie stars Biagra or what biographies <laughs> uh, drink your water um, <laughs> you know even if if you read all those 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 biographies then you see this hidden vulnerability often yeah you know often the you know my my uh, my mother is a film major who was very much into the Hollywood golden age. So I've read at least at secondhand, if not firsthand biographies of a lot of people like, like uh, Claudette did, Colbert. Did like, you just um, lose? No, because it was in the con, it was not in a pejorative sense, but it wasn't in the context of the book, but it was not in a pejorative sense, but it wasn't in the context of the book. And I think anyway, if you'll go back and read the rules, <laughs> I, in this rule book that I, I have spoke the rules. Oh look, that rule book is invisible and I can't see it. And I spoke the rules and I said the word pejorative. Okay. And my we can call my mother right now and see if talking about her great influence on me and my tastes <laughs> and knowledge if she okay. considers that pejorative. We can have a phone a friend if you want. <laughs> I'll let it slide. That's what I thought. <laughs> anyway, I've read secondhand and occasionally firsthand many biographies of sort of the Hollywood golden age and especially the women, you know, Claudette Colbert, Rita Hayworth, um, all of these women who were were sort of sex icons in an era when a s- sex, at least of a certain type, was more valuable than gold, you know, they're, they're, they should be able to command riches, you know, beyond most of our wildest dreams. And they were very vulnerable to mm-hmm. almost to a star. Um, they they suffered. They had you know horrible relationships. Um, you know their only real joy and their only real life was in the characters that they portrayed on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a sense, you could you could map that a similar kind of reality onto Ravelstein. Where you know what he does and what he does well is in his vaudeville, in his performance. Mm-hmm. It, it seems to be something that only Chick and other of the closest friends of Ravelstein have access to. 
Um, like, for example, when he buys this $4,500 suit mm. or, or jacket mm. and then goes and sits and has some espresso with Chick. Right. And the third cup comes and he spills it all over the suit and the suit is dead. Right. Uh, it's actually described as a fatality. <laughs> <laughs> there. That's what he calls it. Yeah, Chick yeah. So those, those images of death, even in what seem probably to most of us like fairly mundane or right. low but, stakes or but the the vulnerability of Ravelstein has to be for at the forefront of Chick's mind there and his vulnerability right. culminated in his death when you see in the second part in the middle part of the book uh, as he's declining and dying he's wasting away in the pictures there of how pictures look at that I, I use the word pictures without even right. thinking about it because he's right um, right <laughs> uh, that he's it, they're so depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, that that vulnerability is very present and and very at the forefront of Chick's mind as he sees even how he ruins a suit right. um, with a, an espresso. Like that's part of his vulnerability. That's right. part of the overall description that he needs to give of who Ravelstein is. Yes. Um, that very I would, weakness. As a as a sort of aside, um, I would like to mention that uh, as we were sort of recording the, between the time that we recorded the last episode, um, that Michael picked this book, that I read this book, um, I switched jobs from my previous utter garbage job <laughs> to a new job that I like much better um, that involved. Uh, it's a long story and I don't want to get too specific, but, um, I'm making coffee now and I'm making lattes and Mm -hmm. and cappuccinos and, and similar sort of, uh, espresso drinks. Um, and so I was training on an espresso machine as I was reading this book, which has as a recurring sort of image, the giant espresso machine that Ravelstein installs in, in his, his own sink. home. Yes. <laughs> um, and I could just see every single detail. Nice. Um, like, it doesn't... I didn't do any of the research that you did, but it doesn't surprise me that this is largely drawn from life because he has a lot of specific details without a whole lot of description of the espresso machine, machine as a whole, but training on what I feel is probably was probably a very similar espresso machine um because my employers like imported it from italy i believe and everything um like i could see every single detail and just how awful and like overblown that machine would look on you know ravelstein's sort of the kitchen counter in his sure. flat or whatever well the the images in this book the pictures if you will right. are very clear uh, he goes in and has such exquisite descriptions of things. Right. And it's so picturesque that it, it amidst all this cerebrality, if that's a word. What's that? What's that word? Cerebrality. Oh, very good. Very Thank good. you. I'm proud of you. Uh, it is so descriptive and vivid mm-hmm. and that's one of them like as soon as you said espresso machine i pictured it in his sink yeah and, and in a sink <laughs> right what what the heck right this <laughs> espresso machine in the sink how he describes it it sticks in your mind yeah which speaks to the craft of bellows work right. and there there are moments where you feel 
tangibly feel things. Yeah. The the how how something brushes your hand or or, or whatever. Um, yeah. And he scatters that throughout the book, which once again. Were you gonna say? No, go ahead. Else? Once again, just fits beautifully in with the whole theme of the book, the idea of you know the life of the mind and the the digging into the real reality and somehow using your mind that that is this broken image maker to somehow try to get into the real reality. Yeah. Um. The the you know contrasted or or overlaid over. The idea of taking these very cerebral discursions and folding them in to very sort of earthy or very sort of tangible images. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, some of those most tangible images, if yes. I may, uh -huh. uh, are about food. Yes. Uh, the espresso machine being one of them. The espresso being spilled on the, on the coat being right. another one. Um, well, and even in the last <laughs> section, maybe you're about to say this, yep. but the whole the whole sickness unto death, if we may import a Kierkegaard phrase into a Saul Bellow novel. <laughs> Kierkegaard, which... Kierkegaard was last month. <laughs> was he? Yep, because he was one of the quotes at the beginning oh, of the right. introduction. But still, I feel but like still he applies this Saul Bellow would be very proud of us for be. importing a Kierkegaard he, quote he into his novel. Yeah. Um, now I forgot what I was going to say. So, yeah, uh, Revelstein has a sickness unto death, resulting directly from bad food. Chick and then, has that sickness. Or that's what I meant. Yes, thank you. Um, yep. And then this, this irritation of bad food is aggravated by what he perceives as the bad food of their neighbors on, yep. the, on the lower floor. Like, and, it's all food. And amidst that, he's also obsessed with this magazine magazine article about cannibalism, yeah, yeah. in which the writer goes on too long about how good human flesh smells when it's cooked. Yes. He says that specifically. Which, for a person, or at least a character, who is not interested in sort of the Christian end of um, the the whole Jerusalem-Athens thing right. is a very heavily communion-related oh, yeah. obsession. Or, it's so clear you know. that um, food is a metaphor for human connection Yes, in this whole book. Yeah. Uh, and in that connection, uh, Ravelstein, you notice every time he deals with food, it's messy. Right. Uh, he he offends T.S. Eliot yeah. <laughs> by being messy with his food, <laughs> which is a delightful little Just scene. Wonderful! Oh, it's so good. Um, as well as spilling the espresso on his jacket, he doesn't mm -hmm. even seem to notice. And then Chick is trying to save him and uh, and and help him to get back from that. But um, that sloppiness mm -hmm. with food is also his sloppiness in human relations. Because, yeah. well, like, yeah. as soon as he gets his riches, and before, too, Ravelstein is all about the fancy, the fine food, and enjoying right. food, and just taking it in, and loving it. And in the same way, he's about that with people. Mm -hmm. uh, not just sexually, which mm -hmm. comes across in his, his homosexual relations with Nikki and, and others, um, or is implied with others, right. um, which that's a whole uh, interesting thing that Saul Bellow got flack for for exposing uh, Alan oh. Bloom as a homosexual. Which it was, really? it was like rumored that he was, and Saul Bellow just kind of affirmed it with this book. Huh. Um, but this is just performance, so right, maybe just, maybe it wasn't. Maybe true. it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, but um, so that 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 uh, how he relates that way 
And then it's described towards the end of the book that Ravelstein was killed by his reckless sexual habits. Yeah. And that recklessness in his human connections is the same recklessness with his food. Right. He's just generally sort of reckless. Just reckless in those ways. Yeah. yeah. Also, I would like on on that that uh, discursus, I would like to mention, I believe there is a sentence in this book, in Ravelstein, where uh, Chick basically says they were never... He and uh, Ravelstein and Nikki were never like sexual partners. That it was more of a father son. It, it's thing. it's described that way. Yeah. 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 Um, it, which is interesting. And yeah. the the whole age dynamic is interesting. Right. Because Nikki is far younger than Ravelstein, right. and Rosamond is far younger than Chick. That's true. And the the Nikki and Ravelstein thing once again sort of goes back to the Greek roots and sure. the idea of older men sort of taking younger boys and yep. um, which was a very Greek uh, thing. Yep. Um, but yeah, I I hadn't once again sort of an obvious connection between that and and um, Chick and and Rosamond. Mm-hmm. Which that comes after. Chick has divorced Vera. Right. Which leads me to read this page that I've had bookmarked since the beginning of ep- this episode. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, Ravelstein objects to Vera. Right. And ultimately, Chick also objects to Vera. She's painted in quite a villainous light. Yes. Uh, which, as an ex-wife, seems logical. Right. <laughs> like, the, the ex-wife is uh, this this paragon of evil. Um, uh-huh. But, you know, he, he he's kind of gracious to her in some regard. But uh, here, uh, this this section, Ravelstein is speaking to Chick, um, and he talks about how, uh, let me see, um, uh, but your hasting days fly on in full career while your wife is determined to defeat your plan for peaceful fulfillment. There's got to be a special Rus- Russian expression for this, the ah, uh, the ah, uh, constellation. I can see how she vamped you. What yes, does that Michael? mean? I don't know. What does it mean, she's Michael? Vamped you. What does it mean? Uh, it means that she has vamped him. That she has <laughs> sucked him bone dry. Uh, she's she's killing him. Uh, Vera is the villain uh, to Chick. But what as sort a victim. of what sort of villain is she? A a vamping, vamping villain. Uh, so there you go. Page ninety-five what is, in what the Penguin Classics. Because to me, vamping just just is sort of a an old like nineteen twenties or thirties uh, um, young woman who you know dressed a certain way and used a certain makeup yep. style. What yep. is what is Saul Bellow going for when he says vamping here? I, I think he's going for the sort of person who sucks his blood. What uh, sort of person is that? I don't understand what you're a saying. A vamping person. And no, but so, so like it's she a, sucks blood with makeup. With makeup. You're being sure. very confusing right now. I don't Michael. think I am. I think the gentle listener knows exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> um, let me rephrase you're being very confusing to say I hate you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but, yeah, okay, so Vera recurs, interestingly, um, as the... Well, she's older. It, I, I don't know, actually, if her age is ever explicitly declared, but it seems... She seems Textually, older. that she is the same age as Chick. Yeah, yeah. And then Rosamund well, is far younger than she's Chick. She's certainly older than Rosamund. Definitely older than Rosamund. Yeah. She calls her this young girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but uh, she, so she as this older woman, um, kind of lording it over Chick and controlling him and killing him. Yeah. Through her is through her what? Through her vamping. Her what? Now? Her vamping. You know, I feel like we've she been vamped him. We've been saying <laughs> that the spirit of the law is greater than the letter of the law, and I feel like according to the spirit of the law, I, I feel lost. like you also said at the beginning of this episode that if it's textually based, it counts. Frick! <laughs> I didn't. I said that at the beginning of the last episode. No, that was the I beginning of this episode. It. No, I think it was the last episode. I'm pretty sure it's this episode. I'm sure it's. I'm gonna oh do no, a whole because you point. Thing. No, you're right. You point of ordered me. I did at the beginning of this episode. I did. So, gentle listener, you can stop rewinding the tape that this episode is on. No! What? Uh, Fine. What? Are you... What? Okay. Are you having... Vamped! Vampers? Vamped. Vera being a vamping vamper. <laughs> a vamping what? Vamper. <laughs> Vamper. E-R. With an E-R. Are you sure? She's a vamper. I feel like in several, uh, in several dialects you just violated the rules. No, we're not talking dialect here. Maybe uh, I am, though. You, no. Am I not? You're not. Oh, okay. We're well, speaking, thanks for... We're speaking American English. Thanks for telling me. Midwest American English. <laughs> uh, I was about to say, you grew up in Indiana. You don't get to claim to be from the Midwest, but that's that a complete in, lie. That, that it super counts Midwest. as the Midwest. Even though Even Indiana though, definitely thinks it's Southern. Right? I was about to say, even though half the people in the state talk like they're from the South. Yep. And it's definitely an affectation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to have you confirm that. Oh, I, I will confirm that up and down. Yes. Oh, man. Yes. Okay, good. So, so I'm sorry to alienate all to say, of our Hoosier listeners. We've, we've lost the entire state of Indiana. <laughs> yep. But it's okay. We have 49 states left. 49 other states. And we love every single one of them. All of them, except of them. Indiana. Screw you, Indiana. <laughs> Screw you, Indiana. <laughs> Which, like, um, you probably... Wait, do you have relatives in Indiana? This not time? anymore. Okay, never mind. Nope. I was about to say, you probably have relatives there, and they're probably listening. You probably did alienate nope. them, but I'm glad that's not the case. I've got, I've got friends from high school who are my friends on Facebook who maybe click on the link when I share it on Facebook. Well, if you bastards small. clicked on that link, <laughs> screw you. I look forward to our 10-year reunion. <laughs> I, don't I know should about I should really like insult my high school friends because I was homeschooled. Right. So, so like, your I high don't... school friends is Zeke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did have friends in sure, high school, sure, okay. but I probably won't see them at a reunion, and I probably wouldn't remember well enough to insult them specifically. True. True. I'm, I'm have, not like... insulting any of them specifically. This was more from the generation before us. That's true. All I have so... to do, like, they were all from Wisconsin, so all I have to do is not insult Wisconsin. Right, um, so avoid that. Yeah, which we'll is see. a glorious and beautiful state. Unlike well, Minnesota. Oops, we'll I just lost another state for no, us. No, I love Minnesota, so okay. got them back. <laughs> Good I hate Wisconsin. <laughs> wait, wait no, I lost no, Wisconsin. Stop. So wait. I love Wisconsin. Okay, okay, we're good. So we're, we're, still, good. we're still good singing to 49. Yeah. So Indiana's because out, everything else is safe. We didn't think of this ploy before we insulted Indiana. And <laughs> no, both we didn't. Of us did it, Indiana. <laughs> we both insulted Indiana. <laughs> so Indiana's gone. Just gone. <laughs> it's okay. That's the state that uh, Orson Welles made think that they were being invaded by Martians. So 
you know, did we really want them in the first place? I'm not surprised. <laughs> wow, we're just really... Like... Wow, Indiana. <laughs> Screw Indiana, Okay. Okay, then. Okay. You know, they have a, a, a state park in Indiana called Turkey Run uh, that's like a weird sort of biome mm-hmm. that shouldn't exist in Indiana. Uh-huh. It shouldn't exist anywhere in the Midwest, practically. Right. Uh, it's it's so humid and weird and awesome. Actually, it's really cool. It's really cool. Through. Yeah, yeah. So check out Turkey Run if you're from Indiana. Turkey Run's cool. Are you trying to win Indiana back? Because I feel like I hear the spirit of Indiana right now being like too little, too late. <laughs> you're done. We're well, done you know here. I'll, I'll take the stragglers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Vera. Uh, a, towards the end. What now? Towards the end, she tries to convince Chick. Of uh, uh, cryo, cryo, what? Cryogenics? Cryonics. 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 Yeah, that's the word. Cryonics. Okay. Um, I'm looking at the the pages here, uh, which is a a brief vision, as he describes yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, because as he's hallucinating and going through his sickness and on all these drugs, he's ha- having several hallucinations, which interestingly he credits his lucidity and his memory. To his own tenacious nature. Hmm. Uh, he The drugs he's on, he says specifically that one thing they do is mess with your memory hmm. and cause it to stop, basically. And he says, well, my, tenac- my memory has always been tenacious. And so his own character endures where anybody else would have failed. Right. According uh, to him. According to him. He continues. And so, again, where the book is about Chick. Right. Um... But uh, in this vision, uh, Vila figures in this one. That's a direct quote. Uh, and there she has this Spanish lover, and she's like, well, I have to test things out because it's the sexual revolution, and so I have to go off with this lover and love him and see what I'm missing with you. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm going to make you freeze yourself and uh, stay frozen until they figure out how to unfreeze you alive and cure you of all your diseases right, right, right. in the 22nd century. And after you freeze yourself, I'm going to freeze myself. And then we'll wake up together in the 22nd century, of course. Right. Uh, and he doubts all of this. Um, rightly. You know, based on everything right. <laughs> about Vera. He, he doubts that uh, she will freeze herself. He's thinking that she's just going to claim that he's dead and she is his survivor and take everything from his will right uh and get everything from him and go off running with her spanish lover and it's a fever dream and so of course that makes sense right for that to be the case right but the fact that he is lucid enough within this fever dream to say no to her is interesting why is it interesting? It is interesting because he is putting himself up as this heroic figure right. who is able to able to overcome these obstacles. And that figure, the heroic figure, is something that plays throughout this book. Right. Uh, there's reference to Achilles. Right. Uh, and there, there's reference to Hamlet, and there's reference to King Lear, which not all of those are necessary heroic figures, well, but, they're but tragic, tragic heroes. heroes. Yeah. Uh, and there's even right, right towards the front... Uh, there's reference to uh, the Titan Cronus. Yes! Yes, it's all over the place. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's interesting because he uses it to refer to Ravelstein mm. and also to himself. 
and oftentimes it's obscure as to who he is actually speaking of. Mm-hmm. Whom he is actually speaking of. Let me use proper grammar. Of whom he is actually speaking. Of whom. You know what? You can dangle your prepositions because we're not speaking Latin. Of whom he is actually speaking of. Nope, that's wrong. <laughs> I feel like you lose for that. I don't, though. There's no rule to make I'm going to establish that. the rule now. What is the rule? The rule is stupid intentional bad grammar. <laughs> so it has to be stupid, intentional, intentional and, and bad. bad. <laughs> and it was all of those things. <laughs> well, yeah, but it occurred before you established the rule. Well, now I've established it. Have you? So, yes, I have. I've ruled upon it. Okay, but how? Don't don't tap the microphone to. That's my gavel. Be your gavel. <laughs> the microphone is not your gavel. It is Furthermore, now. Furthermore, how do we establish intention? It doesn't matter intention. It matters result. You said you literally said intentional and two other words that I can't remember. Stupid now. and bad. And bad. But you said intentional. <laughs> yep. So. <laughs> So how do we establish intention? <laughs> it's it, you intended to be using bad grammar. So you're what you're saying is like it, the qualifications are that it's stupid and bad. Yep. And because you said it, you can assume the intention. Exactly. Because you said it. Yep. Thank you for interpreting my tongues. You're welcome. <laughs> but how do we establish stupid? It, judgment call. So like. If I just judgment call that everything you just said for the last however long was stupid. But is it also bad? I don't know, is it? See, that's the question. How do we establish it whether it's It has to be both stupid and bad, and then intentional, drawn from the stupid and bad. But but how do we establish that it's bad? Judgment call. So, stupid is a judgment call, (laughs) bad is a judgment call, and intentional is drawn from the two judgment calls you just made. Exactly. Yep. This is a terrible rule. <laughs> it is. No, it's a really great rule. Like, if Congress established a law with these parameters, <laughs> there would be civil war. That's okay. No, civil We're war not Congress. is never okay. We can have civil war. We can? It's okay. Yep. Civil war's fine. I'm, I'm cool sure, with it. Pretty sure it would break a lot of stuff in this room. <laughs> would it? Pretty sure. Who cares about this room? Well, if we want to get our podcast out, we have to care about a few of the things. I in suppose. This room. I suppose. Yeah. So your rule is bad. I don't know. And about stupid. It. And you said it intentionally. So you lose! But I can't because you just reneged on the rule and then tried to enforce the rule that you just reneged on. Shoot. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> my head hurts. Yep. I'm gonna. That's the effect drink. that Saul Bella will have on a person. So. Um, also, I almost lost just now, and you interrupted me when I was saying the sentence that would. Dang it! I have been your savior. Yep. I don't want to save you. I, I want know. to punish you. I know you do, but you uh, lose. Ah, uh, you lose. lose. What? You do lose. No, I do. How do I lose? Because you didn't win. But you didn't win either, so you lose. No? Everyone doesn't win, but some of us lose, and that's like you, you, just now. No, how did I? I didn't. <laughs> anyway. What are we talking about? Revelstein. I want to make a point here. Okay. 
Well, there's one on top of your head. Is that the point? Oh, of my goodness. F off. <laughs> Do what? So, I made the point two weeks ago. I'm, yes. gonna, I'm just going to ignore you and talk about the book. That's okay. This book is great. It is great. Uh, it really, really is. Yeah. Uh, this book ends so satisfyingly. Yes. And Please talk about this, because I agree, but I feel like you have more specific thoughts. The reason it ends so satisfyingly, um, it ends with a big, long paragraph, and then two yes. smaller paragraphs, and then a one-sentence paragraph. Yes. Um, the big, long paragraph and the two smaller paragraphs are united here in a description of Ravelstein. Yes. He's describing him so briefly, and... So vividly, you can picture him dressing and talking and listening to this music and putting all of these things together, uh, so getting when, himself ready to go out. Right. It's very true. But I have a question. Yes. And that is that when Ravelstein said, I want you to write a brief description of me. Yep. Is this last bit here, is that what just what that is? Yes. Yes. That is my conviction that this last, these last two pages... At most. Yes. It, it's like a page and a third in my edition. It's almost like a freshman, like, composition student getting nine pages into their ten-page uh, uh, essay and then realizing that they hadn't done, like, four of the things that were on the rubric. Yep. And then quickly cramming them into, like, the last two paragraphs. Exactly. That is exactly what this is. I think that is exactly what this is. The thing is, because Chick has been practicing this entire time, right? there are so many other people that Chick has described in a similar way to Ravelstein, uh, and one of which, uh, which one, um, the Nazi, Grilescu. Yeah, thank you, Grilescu, yeah. um, that he has described, and Ravelstein was there while he described him. Ravelstein right. was, in fact, dying at that time when he described him that way, right. and Ravelstein said... That's how what that's what I want you to do for me. You described in that oh, way. Oh yeah. And I want you to do that for me. And the thing is, how it's portrayed before Ravelstein reacts reacts to it, it sounds like Chick is giving that just for the reader. It sounds like Ravelstein is no part of that. Hmm. He's just giving it to the reader, but then Ravelstein responds. Yeah. And says, That's what I want you to do for me. And by the end of the book, that's exactly what he does for him. And that's not the only time he does that either. He does that for other professors and other characters that he encounters right. he does the same thing right. he stops and describes them what they're doing what they're wearing how they look how they hold themselves the ideas behind how they hold themselves and what they're wearing and what the significance of all of this put and together. all of that is very much like the stuff that Ravelstein didn't say he wasn't doing <laughs> what was that <laughs> thank you Gentle listener, as you could see just now, so I don't have to describe it to you, that was Michael flapping his book at the microphone in yep. agreement with me. Yep, there's so much agreement. Yeah. So, yes, um, and the fact that he did that at the end accomplished this description, which, at that point, it's really easy to picture this as a movie. Like, mm -hmm. not entirely, but the end. You mm -hmm. can see that ending to a movie. Where you've got everything kind of swirling around. You've got this whole spiral picture, the raveling right. uh, of this of this picture of Ravelstein and Chick intermittently here. And then it concludes. And you've got this final scene of Ravelstein getting ready to go out on the town uh, or to some event. 
and something and what he's dressing in and everything he's just dressing in the 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 one interesting thing uh buttons up on the german street kisser and asser striped shirt right, the, the kisser right. and asser shirt uh that 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 brand he described earlier and said i right. always joked that it was kisser and asser right <laughs> and that that's something that was established earlier and he's like i don't have it yet and right. throughout the book i don't have it yet i don't have it yet right. i don't have it yet and it's not until chick has his own near death experience and approaches death sees his dead brothers and his dead father and it's kind of sort of thought that maybe he saw Ravelstein too right but Ravelstein is still a part of it throughout his near-death experience he's talking about what Ravelstein would think what Ravelstein would say throughout all of this Ravelstein is so close to this and he goes through this near-death experience but says I can't die yet I have to write this about Ravelstein I have to do this he approaches death comes back describes Ravelstein right which at first that whole section that whole discursus i was like what does this have to do with ravelstein sure but ultimately coming out the other end and getting to some of the things that you just said it was like oh this is almost the most ravelstein part of this whole experience that's the genius of saul bellow's work here yeah that it it goes on this wide tangent he's digressing so far afield he seems like he's digressing. But then it makes sense. But it's it's all... It's, you know, in Tristram Shandy, the digressions are there just for the pure pleasure of digression. Sure. In in this book, the just giant... Self-indulgence. 50-page digression is all almost not a digression. Yep. Almost everything else is more of a digression than this giant and that's what like, appears on the surface to be a digression. Think of it in terms of like a track meet. Yeah. So you in a track meet you're practicing, you're running these sprints. Right. Yeah, in, in, before the the meet in these in your rehearsals. I'm speaking in theater terms, but in your practices. Right. If we're talking about sports. 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 Um you you run these practices and you you do what you're supposed to do over and over again until right. you master it. Right. And then when you go to the actual track meet and you have to run your 200 meter dash or whatever. Right. It's exactly what you've done up until this point, but it carries so much more weight because right. now it means something. Right. Now it's going to be official. Now it's on the record. Now it's going to be remembered to one degree or another. So now you have to accomplish it and so that 50 page digression makes sense here because it adds that weight and now then he comes to the end he runs that 200 meter dash right and he does it finally in what matters everything else gone before you can forget about griolescu you can forget about battles uh you can forget about everybody else that he has described but ravelstein there is at the end yeah ravelstein is finally described very good Well, I think that's as good of a stopping place as we're going to get. That sounds good to me. Right. Especially considering how long we've done this recording so far and the fact that it's more or less what we want to get out of recording. And not to tell the gentle listener everything that we're thinking and... And like spoil the magic and look at the man behind the curtain and all that. But Ignore the man behind the curtain! So... Ethan's the man behind the curtain. Screw you. Um... (laughs) 
Actually, Michael's more the man behind the curtain because he'll be editing this. That's true. Mm-hmm. I will be editing. Editing-ish. Ish. Uh, very well. So, uh, before we get on to the excitement for next month, uh, which the gentle listener already maybe knows, why don't we rate... What is what do we what do we rate first? We rate the scotch. Yeah. Ratings. Michael, what do you think of the scotch? I really like this scotch. Do you? This is really good. Uh, from the moment you pulled it out of its case and that brilliant ruby red shone in the light of your apartment. Yes. I loved it, and then I drank it. And that port is definitely right there at the beginning. Yes. That port and the dark fruit, um, kind of a cherry note, maybe a little bit vanilla. Yeah, uh, yeah. uh, It's just a hint of nuttiness. It's got some complexity to it that I always look for in scotch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The complexity. You you need a beginning, a middle, and an end. You need a scotch that reads like a story. Yeah. This scotch does it. For me... Do you, do you have a star rating? I do. I'm going to give it four stars. Very well. Four out of five. This scotch is great. I love it. I would drink it again, definitely. Uh, I, I probably have a similar take on it. For me, um, this scotch reminds me of, like, the Glenlivet 15-year, like, the French oak. Sure, sure. Um, which I think is finished in, like, red wine casks, which, mm-hmm. as I understand port, it's just, like, sort of a... a more alcoholic version of red wine basically yeah um so that makes sense but to me this this one has a little bit more character a little bit more sort of flirtatiousness yeah um, it is flirty yeah a little Look at bit that thigh. like you know like the the red wine is sort of the the Ravelstein at age 60 sitting and, and pontificating on on his porch which there's nothing wrong with that in the Glenlivet 15 i like but this one again, yeah, good, good thighs, good, good sort of uh, long <laughs> eyelashes. You know, how many scotches can be rated as having good, good thighs? thighs? <laughs> Not very many. Um, maybe just this one. Uh, you know, long eyelashes looking at you across the veranda or whatever. Uh, yes, I just finished that very romantic description with you or did. whatever. Um, you did. But you know, yeah, like like very good sort of complexity. Um, I think I was getting the cherry and the vanilla, especially. Um, yeah, I really like I really like the scotch. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'd probably give it four stars. Nice, just like you, All right. which I think is the first time that we've ever rated a scotch exactly the exactly same. the same. Is that right, or is it just it that might we've be. never both rated one five stars? I, I know we remember. have never both rated one five stars. Okay. So we're gonna to have to go for that, but as... that's that's what we're aiming for. But this might be the only time that we rated one identically. Yeah, maybe. I'll have I don't to know. go back through the records and yeah. see. Gentle listener, you yourself will have to go back through the records and see. Listen, start a wiki for us. Re- <laughs> yes, and re-listen to all of our podcasts, and also review us on iTunes. And if you've already reviewed us on iTunes, make a new account and review us again. Yep, that seems fair. Yep. Okay. Get us on the the new and noteworthy. Although we might yeah. be beyond the new and noteworthy, we'd just be noteworthy limit. though. Just noteworthy. Yeah. Yeah. Just get us on. Because we're not noteworthy. new anymore. We, right. We're like three, three months old. Months or old. More than that. Probably. What? Yeah. How many books have we read? Six. I no? don't remember. Well, I think our first episode we recorded in December. 
We did South of the Border, West of the Sun, and yes, I can still say that entire title. Very good. <laughs> Which I can't even when I'm completely sober. Nope. Uh, we um, did East of Eden. Yeah. Well, we but we did, recorded South of the Border the end. in December. We did, what was after then we came to the end? What did I give? Uh, Till We Have Faces. Till We Have Faces. Then we did uh, Raise High the Roof Beam, Carpenters, and Seymour and Introduction. Yes. I will always get that one wrong. Salinger and Introduction. Salinger and Introduction. Which it could and then Ravelstein. Really. So six. Yeah, six so books. Six, yeah. So six months. So yeah. Wow, that's half a year. Yeah. Holy crap. That's weird. That is weird. I didn't think it was that old, to be nope, honest. I didn't either. Anyway, that's new. Uh, how would you wow. how would you rate the book? Recommend or don't recommend? Um, see, this one's complicated. Yeah, I agree. Um, I would recommend this book if okay. Now here's the thing, and, and I didn't talk about this too much about the reality behind or underneath uh, the the fiction of this book, the the picture yes. of this book, and Alan Bloom and his writing, the closing of the American. Closing of the American Mind. Mm. He wrote, I think, another book, too. Maybe two or three more. Um, but uh, it makes me want to read that. Right, me I too. I want to read his philosophical writings, mm. even though, again, another thing we didn't actually talk about was the fact that Ravelstein didn't want to be called a philosopher, but she calls him a philosopher repeatedly. Yeah, right. Um, so I want to read his philo philosophical writings. So... In that sense, even though I haven't read his philosophical writings, I would recommend this book. And here's another thing. Uh, I encountered another pastor who had read this book last year after reading The Closing of the American Mind. Oh. He read The Closing of the American Mind and said, oh, I need to read Ravelstein. Interesting. Uh, and so I'm kind of going the opposite direction. I read Ravelstein. I want to read The Closing of the American Mind. So, okay. That all together, I would recommend this book to someone who has read The Closing of the American Mind or anything else by Saul Bellow, specifically one of his novels. Interesting. That's interesting to me because I don't qualify on either of those counts. Oh, okay. Because I haven't read anything else by Saul Bellow. True. This is my first Bellow, and I certainly haven't read The Closing of the American right. Mind, though I do want to now. Right. And still, you've appreciated this book, and that's the only right. thing that I, like, as a reservation, I would say, like, read this without any conception, because it seemed like a surprise to you that right. this was actually true like these were actually real people i wouldn't say it was a surprise so much as i try to avoid that sort of thing before i read a book sure if i get it after i read a book then it then i'm fine with it okay but i try to avoid it before i read a novel like if i'm going if i know i'm going to read a novel and i just go into it i try to avoid that but um after having read the novel then i'm usually sort of fine with it sure so, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, now, I would rate it, recommend, again, with reservations, just like you. Um, I, you know, I, again, haven't read The Closing of the American Mind. I haven't read a lot of the sort of background stuff. I don't, I don't, I didn't do any research on this because I prefer to do as little work in my life as possible. <laughs> but, um, I would say... From where I'm sitting now, having not read Closing of the American Mind and maybe, like, wanting to do that someday, or probably more than someday, like, soon, um, what I would say is I would recommend Ravelstein to anyone who has, like, a solid liberal arts education. Sure. Um, so anyone, you know, and, like, people like Michael and I who have had 
uh, education specifically in English literature are mm-hmm. probably more qualified than a lot of people to sort of get more out of this book. But anyone who's read Plato has read maybe a little bit of Aristotle, you know, and has read maybe some of the later philosophers, even if it's just Kierkegaard and but it, it's something we didn't even really touch on the the uh, allusions to other yeah. works in this book. And it's not, to me, it's not that you have to be able to get all of the illusions, and I'm sure right. I didn't get all of the illusions. Oh, I... <laughs> so I hope the general listener was edified by that Daffy Duck impression. Um, the point is more that you have sort of the context and the, the philosophical and intellectual basis for appreciating some of the, the things that Bellows engaging with here. Yes. Um, if you don't have that, I would say read Plato, like read, say, Republic, Republic and like Symposium, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, read a couple Symposium things. Symposium is directly. Yeah, directly to. referenced in this yeah. book. Uh, read a couple things by him. Maybe just read some of the more famous excerpts of Kierkegaard. Maybe read a couple of like Aristotle's more famous things. Just a, you know, sort of a handful of things like that to get yourself in a sort of context for this book, then read this book. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the, the Western canon. Yeah, yeah. Get, at <clears> least, <throat> if you don't read the whole thing, at least get somewhat familiar with the Western canon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then read this book. Sure. Uh, I appreciate that recommendation. Thank you. So, what did you think of the book and Scotch combination? Oh, man, I liked it. Um, so... Ravelstein being this big bumbling character, but who also has this intellectual depth, being uh, one of the themes of the the novel, mm-hmm. and this this Scotch uh, having that port depth and kind of bigness. Uh, it, yes, it, it works really well. You can picture just this big ruddy character who's fiery and clumsy and and, and just all over the place, but also full of rich intellectual depth. I like it. I, I, I appreciate this pairing. It's good. I I tend to agree. Um, uh, sort of like the one thing we didn't discuss when discussing the scotch was sort of the bigness of the port flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is very much sort of an overlay to everything else about the scotch. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw more s- sort of uh, scotch aficionados rating it lower for that reason, that it was more of a port drink than a scotch drink. But personally, I like it, because I think it does have that big overlay with yeah. the undercurrents of, of complexity, which, oh, like I you say, know. is very, very uh, much in tune with the themes and the the goings-on of this novel. And I think one of the interesting things about scotches is that they can distill their scotch in whatever barrels they choose right and so that's part of the 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 flavor that's part of the excitement character yeah yeah very much so very good all right well uh gentle listener this concludes part two of our read and of ravelstein and our drink of glenmorangi quinta rubin port cask finish and neither of us lost in these two episodes. We did not. Like two episodes, neither of us lost. Yeah, that's so the first. We'll have to podcast. Save, we'll have to save our punishments for the next podcast. Yeah, that's right. And it literally is the first time. That is. 
uh, that neither of us has lost. At least throughout a read, I don't remember verse like you know, one one read versus or one episode versus another. How many of us lost? But definitely throughout the entirety of a read, none of us before has never lost. Right. So sorry to disappoint and not give you a punishment for yeah. either of these episodes, but, gentle listener. You know, Michael is a selfish butt. And so is Ethan. And so is Ethan. <laughs> Wait, what? Yep. Oh, okay. I guess you're I a vampire. But see, the rules have already been obliterated Wait. because we started talking about the scotch. Oh, so. we did. Yeah, that's true. If 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 you just lost, then both of us just lost like seven times. So. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Dang it. All right. Well, like Vera. Next month, screw you. Next month, gentle listener, uh, we will be reading another book, which I should introduce now. I'm so excited. What are we reading? Well, so I've I've juked a little on you. I will ah. say. Uh, next month's novel is is not a novel actually. Oh. Next month's book it's it's a book, and I would say it's very literary, but it is not strictly speaking a novel. Interesting. Um, I will challenge you actually to come up with a names with Michael and Ethan segment ah. or names with Michael segment, whatever the yeah, hell we call whatever. it. Whatever. Uh, because so next month we are going to be reading again according to the conventions in, established by this podcast. Not a conventional book, but one I think, A, has very good conversational legs. Okay. B, is a great work of literature. Mm-hmm. Not a novel, but uh, literature overall is a very good work of literature. Sure, sure. And C, literally has, I think, if I remember right, discussion questions in it. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, um, now my, that my curiosity is piqued. I have piqued your curiosity. This is your copy. Oh, thank you. This is called Lost in the Cosmos, Ooh. the last self-help book. That sounds like an awesomely provocative title. Right? Um, by Walker it. Percy. So. Love it. Look at that. Look at that smug face of that guy. Right? I and it. I believe... Uh, the copy that definitely did not just come in from my Amazon order tonight, and I opened <laughs> it and put it in this bag. Oh, that's why you went to your I mailbox this evening. <laughs> yep, that <laughs> before is before starting recording. That is why. I mean, no, it's not. <laughs> um, anyway, yes. Uh, so oh, there, there are graphs. Hold on, I just there are definitely by a graphs. Graph. Uh, that's awesome. Yep. So this book has graphs, gentle listener, but it is not that Oh, look at that. There's several circles and, like, maybe a Venn diagram? I don't know. Or something. I'm not sure. I... Now, this, like... Oh, there's musical notes! (laughs) What? There's a musical section! (laughs) So Michael is already in love with this book, gentle listener, as I hope you will be, too. Um, I will say that... There's a preliminary short quiz! (laughs) So for that matter, while we're here, we should read the full title, <laughs> which is Lost in the Cosmos, the last self-help book. Uh, and then it has several ors, or, which take up approximately uh, plus, two pages. Ors and pluses. Ors and pluses take up two pages. Oh my god! I thought about reading the whole the whole two pages. That's but okay. We'll we'll give we'll the gentle listener it. a chance to do that, to and do then that maybe themselves. we'll talk about it. Holy crap! I love it. Right. There's of course there's a quote by Nietzsche at the front. Okay, yep. I'm gonna stop talking about it because I'm gonna read it first. Yes. Yes. And so, um, Michael, as you can see, is already a fan. I'm so excited. It is very excited. I've never even heard of this book, and I love it already. 
Oh, meanwhile, this is one of my favorite books. This alongside Franny and Zoe, Right Side of the Roof Beams, Carpenters, and maybe one or two other books I try to reread every year. Um, I have not necessarily succeeded in that, but... Um, so you have read this book before. I have read this book before. In fact, I have read this book before five or six times, which is extremely rare for a book, gentle listener. There are so many books that I need to read that like, I don't reread ever. Um, I've read the Harry Potter books all through maybe twice. Um, I've read the all of Salinger's books except Garbage in the Rye. Um, <laughs> like half a dozen times i've probably read this book probably more times than i've read those books all right so very influential book on my life and stuff um on my life and stuff i mean life and stuff and michael is very excited so i am once again that is lost in the cosmos by walker percy uh if you want a copy it should be easily available on amazon Maybe in used bookstores, anywhere that carries quality books, um, so on and so forth. So, that's what we'll be reading next month. Feel free to read along. If you'd like to join the discussion, visit us at tapestryradio.org. Feel free to leave your feedback one of several ways. One of those is by visiting us at tapestryradio.org, leaving your feedback in the contact section. Um, If you want to categorize it easily for us, put Scotch Talk in the subject line. That makes it easy for us to distill all of the feedback that we receive. Yes, all of the 7,000 pieces of mail we receive every month. Um, Most of which we try to convert into money because we are in this for for the money. money. Um, So if you like what we do here, please review us on iTunes. Uh, That's one great way to get us sort of publicity to get us exposed to more listeners um you can follow us on twitter at room with scotch um you can go to our facebook pages uh we have one individual page for michael and ethan in a room with scotch we have a facebook page for our radio network tapestry radio network uh, is the name of the facebook page and there you can find not only michael and ethan in a room with scotch but our fiction podcast, Intermission, mm-hmm. um, and well as our two RPG podcasts. One is called uh, Pokemon Rollout, is a Pokemon RPG podcast. The other is Roll to Amble, which is a D&D um, podcast. Uh, if you want more from me personally, you can go to pinporterdetective.com, which is the home of a webcomic for which I write the script and a brilliant friend of mine draws the pictures. Um, so that's that's pinporterdetective.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you can follow the whole network at Tapestry Radio Network. Um, that's on Facebook. We also have the Tapestry Radio Tap Room on Facebook. Uh, which is a closed group, but if you apply, we will almost certainly accept you um, unless you are a robot or a Soviet spy. Because um, we're patriot robots. Yes. Um, but other than that, we will accept you, and you are most welcome. Mm-hmm. So, do those things. Um, and read with us mm-hmm. Walker Percy's book, Lost in the Cosmos, the last self-help It looks good. Thank you. We love you. So much. So much. Bye.
Michael is in the bathroom and he paused the recording, but I unpaused it because I know how software works. And now I'm recording next to the microphone while Michael is peeing in the next room. Michael, we had three minutes left of this podcast. I think you could have held it, but maybe you couldn't have. So maybe it's good that you're peeing. Anyway, I wanted to record this message to you because you'll be editing this and you'll hear it even though I'm not here while you're editing it. I'm pretty drunk right now, so please edit all of this out and don't record me doing this part of the segment, part of the episode. I don't know, part of the thing. Okay, um, I love you. Bye. No, but seriously, though, I'm super drunk right now. Figuring out how to unpause the recording. Oh, right? like, okay. So, well, okay. I'll still hear every single word you have. Right. The, the ones that I spoke the ones in the that microphone. you spoke in the microphone. Yeah. Those yep. Ones. I will definitely hear you. Good. Anyway. Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener, obviated objects of oblivion obambulating about, offered unto you in the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org, from our fancy to yours.